children can go down at this time. Would you turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3? Philippians chapter 3. In our class on the spiritual disciplines this morning, we talked about perseverance. And one of the things that that I mentioned is that God did not buy us out of slavery in order for us to coast on into glory uh, through unflowery beds of ease. Uh, we just sang about it in the song. You know, God has bought us and our lives are not our own. They belong to God. And so... God did not buy us out of slavery at the greatest cost that He could pay His Son's life in order for us to coast on into glory on flowery beds of ease. Many times we preach the Gospel as a remedy for temporal struggles. Oh, you're having trouble with your marriage or your kids or your jobs or your finances. Well, then come to Jesus. He is your answer. And as long as we explain what we mean by that, then we can say it. But we, what we can't mean when we say that, come to Jesus. He, he will uh, take care of your problems. It, we cannot mean that all of our problems will go away. Because is that true? When we come to Christ, that our problems go away? In fact, coming to Jesus often means that our temporal problems, that is the problems that we may face with our family and, and our health and they may get worse. And many of those things are a direct result of coming to Jesus. Do you want to guarantee some family conflict for a person? Then go witness to a Muslim or go witness to a staunch Catholic and watch the family divisions that come. See, coming to Jesus doesn't mean that all of our problems go away, does it? In fact, coming to Jesus often means great division and and maybe worse. People are estranged from their family because of coming to Christ and sometimes even killed because of that. Now, it's true that Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, right? But it's still a yoke. The yoke that we used to have was heavy the yoke of self-righteousness, the burden that we had on us. It was extremely heavy. We could heavy. We couldn't move because ultimately it's impossible for us to come to God with that yoke. Christ took that yoke from us and gave us a different yoke. And He's saying, my yoke is easy. What we need to keep in mind is while the yoke that Jesus puts on us is far easier, it's still a yoke. And that is why Jesus says things like, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And why Paul could say, all who live godly will suffer persecution. You see, the things that, that keep us from moving on in the direction that we ought to, and at the proper speed that we ought to, are things like persecution and struggle. And so what we need to do is to recognize that persecution struggle are a part of the life of a Christian. And that we need to have our eyes fixed on the end goal. In this passage, Paul is going to press on toward his greatest goal. And what did we learn last week was Paul's greatest goal. You can look in your Bibles. Look at verse 8 and verse 10. What was the greatest goal that Paul had in life? 
was to what? Okay, no. Verse 8 and verse 10. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the, here's his greatest goal, the surpassing value of doing what? Knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I finished last week by saying there is nothing greater in all of life that you can do than to know Jesus Christ. To know Him in a deeper way. He's not talking about coming to know Him in salvation, initial salvation. So the greatest thing for unbelievers is to know Christ in salvation. No, that's not what He's saying. He's saying to believers, the greatest thing for you to do is to grow in your knowledge. Look at what He says in verse 10, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. So Paul saw as his greatest desire, greatest goal in life, to know Christ. And we, the more that we see that there is nothing greater than knowing Christ, the more we live in such a way that makes all of our life about knowing Christ. The more we seek to come into conformity to God's Word, the less temptations will have a pull on us. The less we'll, we'll be distracted from turning away from our main goal. There's nothing greater in all of life than to know Christ. The surpassing value of knowing Christ. Remember how he, he, he contrasted that to what his former life was? It, was? it was all these personal pursuits. It was his own pedigree and his own ability. He's saying those were all great in, in terms of my Jewish community, but, but in terms of the big scheme of things, it was nothing. In view of knowing Christ, that's my greatest thing. My greatest goal. So let's read our passage for this morning. We'll see how we can press on towards that same goal. Verses 12 through 16. This is the Word of God. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do... Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. As Christians, we must actively pursue the eternal goal that Christ has already guaranteed for us. How can we, as Christians, have a proper focus? How can we run the race with great effort? There are several things that Paul tells us that we need to do. Number one, we need to fix our eyes on the prize. Fix our eyes on the prize. Look at the end of verse 12. He says, so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. What is it that Paul is striving for? Notice how much he talks about his forward-looking view, the, the keeping his eyes on the end goal. Verse 12, he says, I press on. Verse 13, he says, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, that future prize. Verse 13, I reach forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's goal is to finish the race. He sees the Christian life like a race. And he's pressing on so that he can lay hold of that final prize, which is not a perishable wreath like they would receive at the end of the race, but an imperishable wreath. 
So the final prize, the final goal, according to verse 15, is what? Or I'm sorry, verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize. What is the prize? Of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. At the end of a, a race, in those days, the winning runner would be called by the president of the games up to, up to him, and he would be given the award by the president of the games. And Paul is saying that I have in my view that final prize when the president of the games, when, when God Himself gives me an upward call and calls me up and gives me my reward. And what is that reward? Well, there are many rewards that believers receive, but there is none greater than what we talked about last week. And it is eternal fellowship with God. It's knowing God in a more intimate way. That's the greatest prize. This is what Paul's looking forward to. The day when God will call him and finalize what Paul has been striving for his entire Christian life. Paul's greatest treasure in all of life was to know Christ in an ever-deepening way. And at the end of the race of this life, the president of the games, the president of this life, God Himself, will call Him, Paul, and bring Him to a place where He will have that eternal fellowship, that prize. So I would suggest that is the reward that He's looking forward to. So how do we get there? How do we become so singularly focused like Paul is in verse 13 where he says, this one thing I do, it starts with, first of all, fixing our eyes on the final prize. Fixing our eyes on the final goal. Secondly, we need to acknowledge that we have not arrived yet. We need to acknowledge that we have not arrived. Look at the beginning of verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. In verse 13, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. So, Paul's saying, I have made some great advances in my spiritual life, but I'm not to a place where I, rec- where I see myself as having arrived. I haven't obtained the final prize. Heading in the right direction spiritually means that we have a constant recognition that we have not arrived. And the first step that we can make towards that goal, that prize of eternal fellowship with Christ, of being rewarded that by God Himself. The first step toward that goal is acknowledging that we have not attained it. That we have not arrived yet. We have to admit that we haven't reached the goal and we haven't become perfect. How effective would a runner be if in the middle of the race he thought he had already won? He'd already made it to the finish line. Is he going to keep running? No, he's going, to, he's going to stop. And so we need to have that constant recognition that we have not arrived yet. We are still pursuing this knowledge of God. We have not become perfect. Notice the, the language there that he uses in verse 12. I have not already become perfect, he says. The idea here is to a place of full maturity. Paul was even willing to acknowledge that he still struggled with sin. So he hasn't arrived yet. We need to acknowledge the same thing. So the first thing that we need to do in order to have a proper focus in our lives as Christians is to fix our eyes on the goal, fix our eyes on the prize, 
And then secondly, we need to acknowledge that we have not arrived yet. We are not fully mature. We have work to do. We have not reached full fellowship with Christ. And then thirdly, we cannot rest on our past successes. We cannot rest on our past successes. Let me show you where I got that from the text. Look at the end of verse 12. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. And then verse 13, here's the, really the, where I get this point from. The second part of the verse says, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting what lies behind. Paul sees himself as a product of what has happened to him in the past. And the reason that he actively pursues the final prize is that Christ laid hold of him at one time. And because of that, he's seeking to lay hold of that prize. And so in one sense, we do need to dwell on what Christ has done. We do need to remember what is behind. But notice in verse 13, he says, forgetting what lies behind. How can he say in verse 12 that that I'm trying to lay hold of what Christ has laid hold of in me, and then in verse 13 say, forget what lies behind? How do we reconcile these? Surely Paul is not saying to forget about what Christ has done for you because in Romans 12.1, he writes that the reason we could or we should offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, is because of His mercies. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. In other words, because of the mercies of God, we look back onto what God has done for us. Offer your bodies. So why can we offer our bodies? Chapter 12, verse 1. Because of the mercies of God. Because of what He's done for us. And so I would suggest to you that a backward look is a good thing and ought to motivate us to move on towards that prize. But that's not what he's talking about in verse 13. Paul's point is that we ought to forget what lies behind. He's not talking about the past victories of Christ. He's talking about his own personal past victories. Too often we depend upon our own past successes, our own past victories, as if those victories will guarantee our our arrival. It will guarantee that we. it will take us to the finish line. No, Paul says, forget what lies behind. Those past things that I once sought, and I think primarily he's thinking about before his Christian life, the things that he used to pursue, the way that he was once headed, he's put all those behind him. The, the things that he used in his own self-effort, verses 4-6. through six. You know, his pedigree, he was the Jew of the Jew, the Hebrew of the Hebrews. And also his, um, his ability to, to pursue righteousness on his own in the law. Paul's saying, all those things that I used to pursue, I forget those things. Because really, of what value are they to God? Remember what he said last week? When we looked at that passage? They are rubbish. They're of no value to me. And so I forget all those things. I think that's what he's saying here. I don't dwell on my past achievements before my Christian life for the purpose of my own self-glory or relaxation. So, forget those things. Now, just to be clear, we ought to remember the things that Christ has done, the victories that He has done in our lives. We ought to remember what He's done for us in salvation. 
But Paul's point here is that he needs to be solely focused on the finish line so that he's not like a runner who keeps turning back and trying to find out what's behind him, all the track that he's, he's, he's run in order to get here. Instead, he keeps his eyes fixed on the prize, this fellowship of knowing Christ, and he's fueled by that love that Christ had for him in saving him. So we need to fix our eyes on the prize. We need to acknowledge that we have not arrived. arrived. We need to avoid the, uh, avoid the idea that we are a, a product of our past successes. We need to forget our past successes. In other words, don't rest on your laurels. And then number four, we need to give it all that we've got. We need to give it all that we've got. And the reason I say that is because Verse 12, he uses all these verbs that are, are talking about great striving and agonizing towards the goal. And again, you'll get the picture in your mind of a runner who's just giving everything he's got to get to that finish line, to get to that tape and, and cross the, the line. Notice verse 12, <clears throat> middle of the verse. But I press on. End of verse 13, reaching forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, I press on. Verse 15, he, he's talking about we're going to get here, but have this attitude in the middle of the verse. And then verse 16, keep on living. So he uses all these verbs that talk about how he's working with great effort to get to this final prize. And so I would suggest to you that you need to give it all that you've got in order to have a proper focus as a Christian. Paul wants to lay hold of what Christ has already laid hold of in him, according to verse 12. Christ has come to know Paul in a unique way. And now Paul wants to know Christ in the way that Christ knows him. What would your relationship with Christ be like if you knew him like he knows you? Do you realize that when... He brought you to Himself. That's what He did. He knew you in that way. He knew you in a way that, 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 um, that cared about your circumstances, that showed the greatest amount of love to you. He, he took care of your greatest concerns. Your greatest eternal concern was your sin, and Christ took care of that for you. He... He died in order to please you. And if we knew Christ in in the way that He knows us, we would give our lives in order to please Him. But Paul knows that that prize doesn't come automatically or passively. It comes when we work hard and when we persevere in the faith. That's why he says, I have not arrived yet, and so I'm pushing on so that I'm giving all that I have. I'm trying to reach the goal. The prize is going to come only to those who persevere. And that's why he's so singularly focused, like he says in verse 13. But this one thing I do. He has one single goal in mind. He's undistracted by the the things that are going on around him in the race of the Christian life. Instead of like a marathon runner, he's, he's more like a sprinter in verse 14. He says, I press on, I agonize, I strain towards the goal. So if you picture like... Uh, some of these short distance sprinters, they, they just give it everything that they got. You can see the muscles in their body just flexing because they're giving everything that they've got in order to get to that finish line. Paul's saying, 
I see that finish line and I'm aiming my body. I press on to lay hold of that prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's talking about progressive sanctification. Not that he has to work his way in order for God to accept him. He's saying that because Christ has saved me, I have to lay hold of, I seek to lay hold of that which Christ laid hold of in me, that knowledge of me. I'm seeking to lay hold of that in Him, which is the knowledge of Him. Verse 15, he says, Let us therefore as many as are perfect have this attitude. So what attitude is he talking about? I think he's talking about the attitude of Christ who had a singular goal in mind. Remember in in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in whom? Christ Jesus, who was in the form of God, did not think it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he was willing to, to make himself a servant because he had a singular goal in view. And what was that goal? That goal was the glory of God. The goal was to please God. And Paul's saying, we need to have the same attitude. And, and he, he, uh, he uses the words, let us as many as are perfect to, to, um, to introduce this idea of having the attitude. Notice verse 15. Have, ha, let us therefore as many as are perfect. Paul appears to be putting himself in the same category with the believers at Philippi. He's saying, let us as if he and his readers let us as many as are perfect. And he's not saying that I have arrived, remember, because we know in verse 12 he hasn't arrived. Verse 13, he hasn't arrived. He hasn't been made perfect. So he's using it in a different sense. He's probably using perfect in the sense of a nuance like the Judaizers would use of themselves. We are the perfect ones. We're pursuing God through our works of righteousness. And Paul's saying, no, we really are the perfect. In this sense, he means mature ones. We're the ones who are truly mature. And so let us, as many who, as are truly mature, have the same attitude that Christ has, which is to fix our eyes on a single goal and to pursue that with all that we have. Our goal in life as Christians ought to be to pursue full knowledge of God. He says at the end of verse 15, if anyone, if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. I think Paul's addressing those who would potentially disagree with him. That if they don't have the singular attitude, if they're distracted by some other things, then God, some way, in some way, is going to reveal that to them. That they need to have the singular goal. Now, it could be that God does that through circumstances, or it could be that God does it through the ordinary means of the preaching of God's Word. That He's going to reveal it to them in the sense, not He's going to send a little birdie to tell them a message that you need to have this proper attitude, but that through the ordinary means of grace, like the struggles of life, like the preaching of God's Word, like the reading of God's Word, that those people are going to come to understand that they are to be undistracted at this final singular goal to get the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, he concludes by saying, However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. So don't fall back. Don't fall back into into, uh, lesser acts of, of maturity. 
Don't fall back into immaturity, in other words. Don't, don't wait until you reach a high level of spiritual maturity. Live up to the level of maturity that you are right now. You may not be where you, you think you ought to be. You may not be where you see other people are. But, but live up to the level of spir- spiritual maturity that you are right now. The point is, is that we must be progressing in our Christian lives. lives. It's not so much how far we've come or what has happened in our life in order for us to get here. It's what we're depending on in order to get to the final prize. What is it that we're relying on to get to that finish line? We all have the same path to the finish line. It is as we fix our eyes on the final prize, recognize that we have not arrived yet, and then give it all that we've got And as we do this, we must not rest on our past laurels. We must not rest on our laurels. We must not rest on our past successes. Recognize that that our focus must be on the finish line, not on what's behind us in the sense of our own accomplishments. So let me give you four points of application as we close today. Number one, finish strongly. Finish strongly. We strongly believe at this church in the sovereignty of God. And we think about that truth often. We see that truth woven into the pages of Scripture. Even in stories like Esther, where we don't even have the name of God mentioned one time in the entire book. We see His fingerprints all over it because we believe in the sovereignty of God. We believe that the Bible teaches it very clearly. And we believe that God's fingerprints are not all over just the pages of Scripture, but also every part of human history, that He controls it all. And yet, this passage beautifully helps us to see our responsibilities as Christians, that we need to fix our eyes on the prize, acknowledge that we haven't arrived, we must not rest on past successes, and we need to give it all we've got. We're in a race. And our goal is to finish and to finish strongly. We want to have run a good race when we come to the end. The main thing is that we want to finish. We want to get to the finish line having not given up. And while this principle of moving with a focused purpose toward a single goal may seem obvious and easy, as Christians we are prone to wander off course, are we not? We are prone to be distracted by the things around us. We are prone to just flat out stop running spiritually because we're spending too much time looking at our own personal past trophies or dwelling on current struggles. So I'm thankful for a passage like this that helps remind me and helps to remind us that the pursuit of a singular goal is what we must constantly be reminded of. That we must have our eyes fixed on the final prize because it's too easy to get distracted. And that leads to the next point. Number two, don't get distracted from your goal. Don't get distracted. The problem with us is not so much that we want to oppose God and we want to turn around and we want to start running in the opposite direction. And that we want to oppose all those who are running to the finish line and and just sabotage the entire race. That's not our temptation. As Christians we are tempted to find an exit ramp. 
We see a street that veers off to the left or to the right, and at the end of those streets is a promise of wealth or a promise of position or a promise of an enticing relationship. And while some of those things may not be bad on their own, if they take us off the track of going towards that final goal, then they are a problem. They have become an idol to us. They have become a false god. They have allured us away off of the track of where we need to be. Christ has laid hold of you. He has made you His own possession. Accept that and make that your primary goal to lay hold of Him. Don't get distracted from your goal. Number three, no one said it was going to be free of difficulty. No one said that it was going to be free from difficulty. Take Christ as your example for this point. Did Christ go through His his life on the earth in relative ease? Did He coast on into glory? Did He rent a cottage on the seas so that He could kick His feet back and enjoy the view of all that He had a part in creating? Or did He painstakingly work with people who just didn't get it? Did He take time for even the scoffers to explain Himself and to offer them repentance? If that's how Christ's life was, full of difficulty and hard work, why would we expect any different? No one said it was going to be free of difficulty. Yes, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But in comparison to what we were trying to use in order to get to God, it is light. But it's still a yoke. Number four, finish the race. Finish the race. Don't be like a runner who stops running long after he has, uh, long before he has reached the finish line. Keep running all the way till the end. Have you arrived yet? If not, then you need to keep running. We should all be growing. We should all be reaching forward, straining for that final goal. Don Carson says it this way: We can't be satisfied with yesterday's grace. We can't glory in past triumphs. There's much left for us to do. There's much more work that needs to be done. And so we we press on. We press on towards that goal and we finish the race. Christ has laid hold of me, verse 12, and He's called me to salvation. And at the end, God will call my name and give me the prize, eternal fellowship with Him. And so because of that, I fix my eyes on that future prize I strive with all I have to attain that goal. All the rest of the things in life, they are loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Friends, run in such a way to gain Christ. Let's pray. Father, thankful for Jesus Christ and that He has laid hold of us in salvation. We did nothing to deserve it. There is nothing that we can boast about in our own salvation. And so we praise You for calling us to Yourself and guaranteeing our final glorification. But Lord, may we not become passive. May we not just coast along in life 
like we're on a lazy river, but, but strive with all that we have to pursue that final prize, the upward call of You in Christ Jesus. Lord, there are things that distract us often, and perhaps there are even things this week that have distracted us from that final goal. We pray that You would help us to recalibrate, or I pray that You would recalibrate our focus so that we have it on that final prize to get off of these exit ramps back onto the track towards knowing Christ for whom we have suffered the loss of all things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.